Charles Woodson, Desmond Howard, Denard Robinson, Timonga Bianca Batuka, from Yost to Arbaugh, passed down from generation to generation, Michigan football has stood the test of time. What's that feeling you get when you catch your first glimpse of the big house? When you hear, and take the field. When you see the team emerge from the tunnel, sprint across the field, and touch that famed M-Go Blue banner. Saturdays in the fall, tailgates with friends and family, favorite players, favorite teams, and unforgettable moments. A lifetime of memories. College football in 2020 may be unique, but it has arrived at the corner of Stadium and Main, which is where you can find Michael Spath and Justin Rowe sharing their analysis, their stories, and their emotions about this year's Wolverine. This is the Stadium and Main podcast. Presented by Kapnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers. Welcome to the Stadium in Maine podcast. I am Justin Rowe, joined by my co-host, Michael Spath. I know you all missed me yesterday, of course. <laughs> uh, Mike was on with Will Heidinger, and I took a day off on the, on the weekend here. Um, but we're back, uh, me and Mike. And uh, Mike, it is uh, January 4th, and... The Michigan Wolverines basketball team is 9-0. and And also, the Michigan women's basketball team is undefeated and just uh, put a stomping on uh, another um, ranked team in Northwestern yesterday. So, KBA and Juwan Howard are both rolling in Ann Arbor, which has been a fun sight to see. Well, I mean, I guess the question is from yesterday because they both played a ranked Northwestern team. Who kicked the Wildcats' ass more? <laughs> Kim's team or Juwan's team? And the answer is yes, because they both did. Uh, they both looked excellent. Um, as you were talking, I was curious. I'm, I'm trying to find the women's ranking uh, because they certainly, um, you know, Michigan moved up to what, number 10 uh, they did, yeah. in the rankings from 16th to 10th. Uh, and the women's team, if they're also ranked, I mean, what I guess what I'm getting at is it's, there's a pretty decent chance that this is the highest that the two teams have been ranked you know coinciding at the same time that may, maybe in program history yeah um, the women's team it's they're up to 15th okay so 10 for the men's 15th for the women's which i mean that's got to be close to a record for the women's at least in the last i don't know 15 years right they mm -hmm. they this has got to be one of the better better seasons that they've had uh in in you know, Kim Barnes or Rico's uh, reign here and probably in the years before that as well. Well, and I just saw that they're number 12 in the net rankings. And I think oh, Michigan, are. yeah, I think Michigan, uh, Juwan's team is maybe sixth in the net rankings. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it, it is, it is incredible. I'd love to have uh, Nas Hillman on or, you know, we'll work to get uh, uh, a women's basketball insider or a player and assistant coach because, got to give them their love and, and do also. It's funny because I had someone, um, you know, yesterday after they had their, their big win on Northwestern said, see, sometimes it does take a program like six or seven years to have their breakthrough. So don't <laughs> give up on Harbaugh yet. And I was like, oh man, oh, not even gosh. close to, not even like, we're not even talking apples and oranges. Like that's no. apples and an entirely different food group. Right. Um, 
So I got a kick out of that. But let's talk about this basketball win yesterday for Jawan Howard's team because, Justin, you know, New Year's Eve, they go on the road, they're playing Maryland. It's a fairly tight game. Into the second half, they go on in this incredible run and just blow Maryland out of their own building. I understand it's not a typical away venue because there's no fans in the crowd. But they looked, I mean, Maryland had just had a big win over Wisconsin, uh, was a team playing well, and Michigan just stomped them. Okay, so then here comes Northwestern, hottest team in the Big Ten, ranked uh, for the first time and, you know, are ranked as high as they were for the first time in, in quite a while, uh, playing their best basketball, and Michigan just throttles the Wildcats. I know the final score was 19 points, but at one point they were up by, what, 29, mm-hmm. um, maybe even 30 points. Uh, the inside game worked with Hunter Dickinson. The outside game worked with, you know, name it. Everybody was hitting three-pointers yesterday. Um, great contributions off the bench. I mean, this is this is a basketball team that is you, – you look at their last couple of games, uh, Northwestern, Maryland, and Nebraska, and, I mean, this is a team that's playing – I don't want to say as, as well as anybody in college basketball because, I mean, Gonzaga's out there. Um, but they're certainly playing as well as any team in the Big Ten, and you can make the argument that they are the best team in the Big Ten right now. Oh, and and honestly, I don't know if it's that close. I mean, Iowa has obviously played really, really well, um, but they even had a slip-up to Maryland as well. So um, I just from game to game, it seems like Michigan has been playing the best. And and so from watching – obviously, I've watched Michigan closer than any other Big Ten team – but when you look at Iowa, they're kind of a one-two man show with Jordan Bohannon and uh, and Luca Garza, obviously. Um, but Michigan, you know, Mike, we've talked about it over and over and over again. It seems like every time we talk about be- the basketball team, we mention their versatility and their uh-huh. depth. But it proves time and time again to be their biggest strength because. I think a lot of people after the New Year's Eve game and, and the couple prior games since Hunter Dickinson has taken over that starting center spot, everyone was saying, uh, oh, well, what happens when Hunter has an off game? What happens when he struggles or uh, they double team him uh, and everything like that? Well, guess what? You saw it yesterday. And even even uh, Eli Brooks in his postgame press conference said, well, actually, we thought that when teams doubled Hunter, it's actually a benefit to us because he's such a good passer, it leaves guys wide open. And yesterday, they hit those wide open threes that Hunter found them on. And so he only had four points, I believe, at halftime, and Michigan was still up 14 points. So uh, it, it just it's unbelievable how game in and game out, they really find a different guy to go to. Um, Isaiah Livers struggled last night as well. And then just new guys come in and pick it up. So you really cannot say enough about the depth and versatility on this team. And Mike, we're going to just keep saying it over and over throughout this season. Cause I, I don't think that's going away. Yeah. And you mentioned Livers, you know, he didn't have his best offensive game, but I thought he was really good defensively mm-hmm. um, in that game yesterday. In fact, you could make, I mean, between Mike Smith, Eli Brooks, who has been Michigan's best defender the last year and a half, um, you know, Sean Day Brown, who's emerged as a very good defender, Franz Wagner, Livers, um, and then Dickinson in the post. I mean, as talented as they are offensively right now, and they're one of the better teams uh, in the country in their, their offensive rating. I think they're eighth, yeah, eighth in the country, according to Ken Palm, in effective field goal percentage. They're, they're even better 
Um, I mean, not better, but they're really good defensively, really good defensively. And they just have, you know, Northwestern's a team that likes to take three-pointers, makes a lot of three-pointers, and Michigan was running them off the three-point line, especially in that first half yesterday, uh, to the point where Northwestern just never truly got comfortable uh, from the, from the three-point line. I think they, yeah, they finished 5 of 18, 28%. Um, in that game. And that's a really good three-point shooting team. So there's a lot of really impressive things. Let's run through a couple of our maybe preseason questions, some of the things that we talked about, uh, Justin, and where we are now. And so let's just start with, let's just start with the addition of, of Mike Smith and Shonday Brown and kind of preseason a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't, we all thought there was going to be an adjustment period. I think Mike Smith has been, um, kind of like best case scenario uh, for a, a transfer for Columbia for the, for the point guard um, does, you know, is just doing is scoring. Some doesn't need to be overwhelmingly scoring protects the basketball, takes care of the basketball uh, is someone that can, can really defend um, has hit a couple of big shots. Um, you know, he's been really good. I think Shonday Brown has been better than I expected. I mean, I did not see him as a three point shooter like this. No, I mean, I, to be honest, I didn't watch a whole lot of Shondi Brown, but until uh, until he was uh, cleared to go, and I did not know he was a good three-point shooter at all. You know, I thought he was more of that Charles Matthews type that works to get to the rack as much as possible, and he's definitely, you know, brought the intensity on uh, defense as well. Uh, you could, you saw it yesterday when he picked the guy's pocket and then went for a slam and got teed up, which is the, the weakest technical, Terrible, in my opinion, yeah. that you could see. Um, but anyways, it's just, uh, you know, those guys are, are really, really special for this team. And I wonder, you know, where would this team be without them? I think mm -hmm. that this team could actually be really struggling without those two guys. Um, you know, Mike Smith, I think that in the past – three or so games he's really started to find his groove and he has uh been not only you know scoring more than he was in the first couple of games uh but he has just been finding the right guys i feel like he now feels so comfortable with the ball in his hands that uh you know bringing it up the floor um that, that he has really made a big difference there yeah and it's interesting you just said that you know, you don't know that Michigan basketball would be as good. I mean, think about this. We have not really seen Eli Brooks his handles, uh, handles the point guard responsibilities when Mike Smith is not in the game, but Mike Smith is averaging what I think like 31 or 32 points per game or 32 minutes per game. Uh, and so, I mean, he's playing 74% uh, of, of Michigan's available minutes at the one. Um, so what would they be doing? Would it be Eli Brooks at the point guard spot and Zeb Jackson as his backup? Probably. Um, and we really haven't seen a whole lot of Zeb. I mean, he's been able to grow slowly and evolve uh, without being forced into it. And one of the byproducts of having Mike Smith is allowing Eli Brooks, who, uh, you know, I loved a year ago when he kind of finally was able to settle into a role as a two. He didn't have to be a point guard. He didn't have to have all that responsibility. That was on Xavier Simpson's shoulders. Eli was just able to go out there, defend as much as he wanted, you know, defend like an all-star and move around the court and find open shots and attack the basket. And you started to see the best of Eli Brooks uh, last season. And now here we are, these last couple of games, man. I mean, how good has he looked at that alley-oop dunk yesterday? I mean, I know he had the dunk uh, in the game before, um, you know, uh, against Maryland, and that was shocking in its thunderous nature. But the one yesterday, I mean – 
there's no way that he makes that as a freshman. There's no way he makes it as a sophomore. I don't think he gets that dunk as a junior. This is the epitome of a kid who has been through a lot in his career and is now coming out the other end and has got supreme confidence, knows who he is and knows how to play his game and doesn't have to be someone he's not because of the presence of Mike Smith. And Justin, it's interesting because I was talking to, I don't know if it was my brother, or I was talking to Brandon Brown, one of, one of the two of them. And they said something about like, well, next year, you know, what do you do? Because you lose Mike Smith, you lose Eli Brooks and you got Zeb Jackson. What, what I think Juwan Howard has proven already, and I know they've got Frankie Collins coming in to play the point guard position too, but what Juwan Howard did last year, and maybe John Beeline would have gotten to this more so, but he used the transfer portal to his advantage where he went out there. He actually got three guys, but Noel Eastern uh, transfer from Purdue didn't qualify academically. So he got Mike Smith. He got Sean Day Brown. He, he solidified. He filled in some of the gaps to make, not to make his team better three years down the road with transfers, but he essentially said like, okay, what do I need to make my team as good as it can possibly be in 2020, 21? And he got those guys that could help him for that, for this season. And I think next year, he's got a great recruiting class coming in, the number one ranked recruiting class in college basketball right now. But I guarantee you he gets to April or so, and he's going to be looking around and going like, okay, I've got these you know, six studs coming in. I've got a couple of guys coming back, but there's one position or two positions, even if that second position is the ninth guy on the team that I need some help with, and I'm going to go out there and find those guys from the transfer portal. And that's exciting to me because it means you've got an elite recruiter and you've also got someone that understands the game of needing to add pieces from wherever you can add them. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely helped uh, Juwan Howard, I think, get through what could have been possibly a sophomore slump um, with, a, with a team that wasn't maybe quite ready to have all of his guys in it. And then you're kind of on the outs with some of these guys like Isaiah Livers, Eli Brooks, and, and uh, Franz Wagner. Um, so it, it definitely helped. And, and just, you know, I was just thinking about it. Where would Noel Eastern even fit into this roster? <laughs> Honestly, you know, if he was able to come uh, to Michigan and, and play, I don't know if he would have gotten much playing time, honestly, because you see Brandon Johns even not getting, uh, not getting a whole lot of PT right now, too. I mean, he is getting, what, 10 to 12 minutes a game, mm-hmm. um, but I would have seen probably Noel Eastern getting maybe less than that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I but, don't think he would have fit. But I, I think that you you take a look at like what you said uh, with Eli Brooks um, and his development over his three years here now into his fourth. Um, I got to give credit to Camp Sanderson. I mean, we know that he has what tens of examples. Uh, now over the years of guys just making unbelievable strides in the weight room. And yeah, I agree. Eli Brooks isn't going up and booming that down like he did yesterday uh, without Camp Sanderson over the past couple of years. And so I look at guys like him and then, you know, talking about somebody else who we had mentioned in the preseason uh, that needed to step up was Franz Wagner. And Franz Wagner, if you look at just pictures of him from uh, when he came in to now. I mean, he's put on 30 pounds of muscle in the last eight to 12 months or something like that. So um, it's pretty crazy what Camp Sanderson has been able to do with those guys. And now I feel like Franz Wagner is really, really getting into his groove. He was drilling threes yesterday. And, you know, I think we also have to keep our expectations low. Michigan's not going to shoot – 55% from three or whatever they did yesterday, you know, every, every game, but 
Um, I still think that uh, Franz is really finding his groove and whether it be uh, from the outside, he looks about as confident as ever uh, spotting up from three. And then you add his defense yesterday with five blocks, five blocks. And, and a couple of those were on uh, Northwestern centers. So it's just really impressive what's, what Franz has been able to do. And <clears throat> excuse me. And I think that uh, between his last maybe two or three appearances uh, in these games, he has started to show up on these NBA uh, GM's radars a little bit more and more that he is that versatile player that could maybe go in the first round. Yeah, I, I still don't – I mean, it's incredible because I still don't know how he gets to the basket. I still don't know how he blows past – and he doesn't really blow past anybody. He just sort he of like – takes like two steps. <laughs> he sort of, yeah, gallops or strides. We'll just say he strides past someone. He doesn't beat anybody. Um, but he's got such a long stride. Uh, but I just looked it up. His first um, seven games – or I'm sorry, his first six games for Michigan, he shot 25% from three. He was three of 12 overall. Uh, his last three games, he's shooting 38% uh, from three. If you give me a 38% Franz Wagner from three um, all the rest of the season, A, he's going to keep on putting up really good numbers, and B – man, does that make him difficult to defend because they have to, they have to understand that he gets to the basket. He's good at the backdoor cuts, which we saw uh, in Sunday night's game against Northwestern. He is such a good passer. He just really thinks the game out there. He, he is, I don't know which um, sports basketball writer does the glue team, but he is like a glue player, but he's also a potential superstar player. You know, normally that's reserved for like the Zach Novak, Stu Douglases of the world. I almost think like Nick Stauskas got it when he was a freshman, but the next year he was like the best player in college and at least the big 10. Um, and so, you know, it, uh, it's something, man. It, it's really, it's really beautiful to watch the way that Franz Wagner has played and the way that he's just a guy that makes everyone around him better. And so, um, you know, as you started off this podcast, Justin, you talked about the versatility you know, Livers did not, was forcing things offensively yesterday. And then finally, you know, he hit a couple of three-pointers, some big three-pointers. But, God, if you're, you know, who is the next team that Michigan plays coming up here? If you are, I'm trying to look it up. They play that later this week, right? Um, uh, Minnesota. Yeah, if you're Minnesota, they play on Wednesday, or you're Penn State, who they, they get again on Saturday. And you're, like, putting popping the film in, and you're going, jeez, I mean – do we try to stop Franz? Do we try to take away Eli? Do we try to take away Livers? Well, yesterday, Northwestern said, we know who this Hunter Dickinson kid is. This kid is pretty special. We're going to take him away. And so they ran the zone. They sagged down, um, essentially saying, Michigan, beat us with your three-pointers. Uh, we don't think you can. And we're going to play to not let Hunter Dickinson beat us. And as you noted, I mean, he's a good passer. He doesn't force things. That's a big part of it. He's not – an impatient freshman that is like wants to get the ball, turn around and, uh, and just, you know, get rid of and just, and just put it up. And so first half Michigan did beat Northwestern with three pointers. They got in a really good groove. I think they shot like close to 50% on threes in the first half. And so what did they do in the second half? They came out and they tried to run Michigan off the line and they left uh, Hunter Dickinson one-on-one. -on -one. And what did he go out and do? I mean, what did he get? 11, 13 points, something like that in the second half. I think he uh, had I mean, it. He had, 14 or points. so in the first four minutes. Yeah. Something yeah. Crazy. 15 points in the, in the, in the second half of that game yesterday. And 
what excites me about Hunter Dickinson is again, I mean, he, he plays far beyond his age. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't get impatient down there. And because of someone like him, I don't think that the Michigan lulls, I mean, everybody knows what we're talking about here. Those stretches where they go like six minutes without a field goal or eight minutes without a field goal. I don't think that's ever going to happen this year because Hunter Dickinson gives you someone down low that even if he's not scoring the basketball, he's going to be able to distribute the ball to someone for open shot after open shot after open shot. I think Michigan is almost drought proof this year. And I say that and they're going to go out there and like lay one out, <laughs> lay an egg against Minnesota. But I think that's what really excites me about this team. Yeah. I mean, it just seems, I, I think that, you, you know, I mean, we sound like a broken record with the versatility, but it, when one guy does go in a drought, then the next guy seems to pick them up. And so in the past, when we've seen Michigan go into droughts, it's because they were relying on Xavier Simpson to get to the bu uh, bucket every single time or Iggy Brazadakis to, to really hit his shots. And, uh, you know, John Beeline was – as great of a coach as he is and still is as I watch him on Big Ten Network and on social media, and I just miss him so much because he's the man. Um, but he, he was a do or die from the three-point line a lot of times. And so that's where Michigan doesn't seem to be uh, totally do or die anymore. They definitely can beat you at, at the three-pointer, but Juwan Howard, and props to him for coming in and saying, I've got great three-point shooters, but we can also run an offense differently and get it get the ball to the to a postman uh and let him go to work or even you know get uh Franz Wagner going to the bucket get Isaiah going to the bucket um I love how he has Mike Smith uh working and, and driving to the basket and then kicking a lot too I felt like that was something that Xavier Simpson really struggled with a lot was mm -hmm. he'd drive to the basket and as soon as he took one dribble his head was down and he never picked it back up again so the way that Michigan has been able to move the ball around and hit different spots all over the court, whether it be a three-pointer. We even saw Hunter Dickinson hit a couple elbow yeah. shots yesterday, which if he can do that, I mean, wa watch out. Because what? where do you stop him then? You can't stop him down low. You can't st stop him at the elbow. And then maybe if he you know, develops a three-point shot as well, I mean, it's just going to be really incredible to watch him as he got, I believe, his fourth consecutive or maybe not consecutive, but fourth out of five or six weeks, I believe, in the Big Ten season here, freshman of the week. Yeah. Uh, and so it's just really impressive to see that, and I'm excited to watch him going forward. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it. it uh, yeah, he did get his fourth Big Ten freshman of the week, which is, uh, which is pretty incredible. I mean, you know, I know that Ken Palm had him 10th uh, prior to yesterday's game. I don't think he's number 10 anymore as big 10 as not even big time player of the year, national player of the year. If, if there was no Luca Garza, um, I think you can make the case that Hunter Dickinson is the most important player in the big 10 right now. Um, and so people are talking about like, well, you know, he'll be all big 10 in a year or two years or something like that. Like, why is he not all big 10? I mean, he's all big 10 right now. He's all right, all Big Ten right now, in my opinion. But there's a lot of guys on this team uh, they're going to have to pick from. And uh, Desumu from uh, Illinois is pretty damn talented, too. And certainly Wisconsin's got their baller. So um, it's great, man. It's, to, be, to be undefeated for Michigan at this point, to be 4-0 in the Big Ten, when as hard as the Big Ten is, I know that you know there's more challenging games coming up. They haven't played Iowa yet. They haven't played Illinois. They haven't played Wisconsin. They're playing a Minnesota that's really hot right now. 
but they're off to such a great start. It's been a lot of fun uh, as a Michigan fan. You brought up something about Hunter Dickinson, though, Justin, and his little ability to hit the, ability, uh, the shot from the elbow from about 15, 18 feet away. I was talking, this was Brandon Brown I was talking to yesterday, and he goes, you know, I might think, I think he might be a one in, uh, that he could be a one and done player. Not that he is, but he could be a one and done player if he wanted this. And nah, it's just, he still doesn't have the game for it. And he goes, yeah, but if he's got that type of skill set where he can step out there, the NBA will come calling for that. Mm-hmm. My hope, Justin, is that, you know, every interview I've seen with this kid, it seems like he, I don't want to say he's a kid, but he seems like someone that just kind of loves this experience. And he seems like someone that would really like to uh, pre- like experience college, which you can't really do at Michigan right now because they're all remote for the winter term. And, and that's something that hopefully will be rectified by next year. I'm now praying. I mean, I think when he first came in, it was kind of talking about like, well, maybe three years and out or something like that. I'm now praying for two years of Hunter Dickinson. I, I agree. I mean, we kind of laughed. I can't remember who the broadcaster was that mentioned it. Oh, in yeah. One of Michigan's first games. And he said, oh, well, could Hunter Dickinson be a, a one and done? And I saw everybody on social media, including, I believe it was Stephen Bardo, who was next to that uh, broadcaster that said, there's no way he's a one and done. He's a very good player, but he is not, you know, NBA ready quite yet. All of a sudden, six games later, whatever it is, and, and I agree with you. It's like, why, why couldn't he be a one and done at this point? And so I think that uh, uh, Howard Isley and um, some of the other assistant coaches have even come out and said, I'm just trying to tell him that he needs to stay in school and trying to convince him to stay here. Um, and obviously they'll, you know, they want whatever's best for him, but they would love to have him for another year or two. So um, I, I think that, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that if he, continues to um to expand his game uh and be great on the offensive side as well as now the defensive side uh then it would be you know there's no doubt that some nba guys nba gms and scouts are going to come watching and see if he's ready Mm -hmm. uh, and he'll probably test the waters i imagine at the end of this year Uh, Uh, i hope not i really hope not I would, I mean, maybe he at least does the, you know, goes through the process just because, you know, who knows? Um, but it is, it is pretty incredible to see the strides he's already made in just uh, six games here. So, or sorry, nine games here. Um, but I, I did want to say, and you, you kind of touched on it there. I think that Michigan definitely has a lot tougher schedule moving forward. Oh, right. Yeah. And so um what has happened and what happened just last year, Michigan really excelled at the beginning of the year. They won that, the, the Atlantic city or whatever, um, or whatever the Bahamas, the, the Bahamas other, thing. Yeah. Yeah. The Bahamas thing. Uh, Bahamas, and then yeah. they, they really tapered off. Um, well, it may seem like that happens this year as well, because they definitely are still going to go through a stretch this year where it's incredibly tough games. I mean, they already play one of the better teams in the big 10 against Minnesota on Wednesday. They play them again, right after Penn state, two games later too. So they're going to go through stretches where they have to play Iowa and Wisconsin and Michigan state. And you may, they may lose a couple in a row, but don't panic out there, Michigan fans. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be one of those seasons. It's a, the, the Big Ten is a gauntlet. But this team, with the versatility, again, we, we talk about it, with the versatility, the tools that they have at, at seven to eight different guys, this team is really, really geared up for March. And I think it'll be fun to watch them uh, come Big Ten tournament time and then going into the NCAA tournament, which now the entire thing is, uh, in, is, in, Indiana, is in yeah. Indianapolis. So 
Um, well, not yeah, all in Indianapolis, be... right? It's uh, they're going to be. I think there's some games at Purdue. Okay. Um, I think there's some games at maybe even Indiana, um, IUPUI, Fort Wayne, I believe. I think all the games are going to take place in the state of Indiana. Gotcha. Um, but they're essentially using all the pro and college and even minor league um, arenas in Indiana, which I got to say, I, I guess I don't completely understand why that's that much different than um, – you know, than them traveling to like, say Florida versus like everybody traveling to Indiana. Um, you know, I, and I don't think that they're, unless I'm crazy and I, I didn't, I didn't read it completely. Like, I don't think they're planning on taking all the teams that win and bubbling them, but maybe they are. Maybe like the moment you show up in Indi- Indiana, like you're there as long as you keep winning. And if you lose, you get kicked out of the state. Um, <laughs> That but yeah, it's, that, it, it, that might be, but I didn't read that in the, I just read it on CBS sports, maybe like an hour and a half, two hours ago. I didn't read that that was part of it, the bubble. I think they need a lot more consent from, um, you know, from, I guess, like if you're Michigan, right? Like, do you agree to that? I don't, I, I think that has to be something voted on down the road. Like, I don't think Mark Schlissel's out there going like, oh yeah, absolutely. If we come to Indiana, my kids go there, they're just going to stay in Indiana for two weeks it does look like that's the one thing, Justin. It does look like they're going to try to uh, complete the final, the, the whole March Madness in two weeks. Normally, oh, wow. it's three weekends. Oh, um, my gosh. I, that, I, yeah, what a so, wild time that is about to be. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, gosh, they're, they're hoping to get it done, right? They're hoping yep. to get it done. Um, I thought this was a great uh, tweet from Brendan Quinn yesterday who writes for The Athletic who covers Michigan and Michigan State and has always done a really great job. It was after Sean Day Brown got a technical foul and he said, you know what? These are the only students that are on campus. These are the only students who are sacrificing themselves, potentially getting COVID. Um, They're not getting paid. If the kid wants to hang on the rim for one second, shut the hell up and let him hang on the rim and celebrate however he damn well feels. (laughs) And I kind of, I mean, you know, I don't know if I, I I didn't quote it perfectly, but that's what the message was. And I a hundred percent agree with it. Like these kids, not kids, these teenagers, these, these young men, you know, yeah. Like they're playing for our entertainment, you know? I mean, yes, they, they, they get a vote in it. Yes. They want to be playing. But I mean, they're athletes are the only students that are allowed on Michigan's campus right now. Right. The only students allowed on Michigan's campus right now. So don't try to tell me that they're, that they are just like everybody else. Right. So I agree with them. Give, give uh, Shonda Brown a little bit of a break. Uh, when he hangs on the rim for a second goodness and and he didn't even it was like literally half a second it wasn't I Mm -hmm. I thought he probably was helping himself to not go completely sideways right or go into the back of the hoop so that was ridiculous and and it's honestly I see that and I loved every minute of it what why why or you know What's not to love about Shondi Brown coming off of there and, you know, giving us a fist pump and coming back to Hunter Dickinson and, and you know, banging chess and then the, the bench mob just going nuts, which has been awesome to see. I think it's Jace Howard who is leading the charge on the bench as well, which has been just so cool to see what culture Juwan Howard has brought to Michigan. And obviously the bench mob was great under John Beeline as well. And other benches are great too. Um, but it's just really, really cool to see. Um, and it feels like this is truly like a family for, of a team and they really play for each other and love each other. And to your point about Hunter Dickinson, he's, we've actually been talking to him in the Instagram DMS of blue by 90. And he is just like, 
such a just cool down to earth dude. And I know some other uh, social media pages out there. He joins their group chats from every, for every so often. He's just like, it's crazy that he's an actual normal 20 year old kid because you just you don't think of that when you see him on tv right but he is and he's just a a great kid and I think that speaks to what this team is like uh you know through and through yeah absolutely yeah it just the the bench reactions are are so cool to watch they're getting excited about uh just about you know just everybody they went nuts when they saw Eli Brooks throw it down and they went nuts when Chase Howard Juwan's son and the freshman got his first points and uh, there's just a, there's just a great energy and dare I say culture uh, when it comes to this uh, Michigan basketball team and with that Justin should we switch <laughs> flip flip great to, segue to football but hey before we get there our good friends at Wolverine State uh, Brewing Company um, have they're going to do some specials with some a number of beers that they're going to release in uh, February uh, Nate uh, told me about that a little preview. A lot of great beers on tap right now that you can get a growler or a crowler for uh, and pick it up with your food, uh, food order. Uh, they got their pastoral winter lager, which uh, I'm a big fan of. I'm going to come into town next week uh, and uh, pick up one of those. How about, I, I don't know if you're a Pilsner fan, but they've got an Amarillo Pils, uh, which is kind of like a Czech beer. Uh, if you've ever been to the Czech Republic, um, you know, in Pilsner or Kel. Uh, that's kind of like what their comparison is. Um, really big fan of that beer. Uh, can't wait to to try that again. Their massacre is still going. Uh, you can still get uh, massacre on draft. Uh, probably not much longer. Uh, they've also got a Baron Martyr, a German Pilsner, um, lots of Pilsners, lots of lagers out there right now. I think they're going to be turning the page here fairly soon to a lot more uh, stouts and porters. Some of the darker, heavier beers as we're now into. Uh, the winter. Their menu also, uh, Justin and I talked about it last week. You, did you go in there? So you were supposed to, I was supposed to live vicariously through you last week. <laughs> I'm, I don't know I'm sorry. I did not make it in. I was on the oh. west side of the state for most of the, the holidays. That's right. So. You were. So you have a, you have a legitimate excuse. I forgive you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to come, I'm going there next week though. Uh, and I'm deciding between getting their pastrami pretzel House smoked pastrami, Swiss cheese, and spicy mustard on a pretzel bun, or getting their smoked meatloaf patty melt. You told me, I said this last week, I love, love, love meatloaf. I'm like the one of the only people in the world that loves meatloaf. So house-made smoked barbecue meatloaf, smoked cheddar cheese, caramelized onions on grilled pumpernickel, served with kettle chips and a couple of beers. I just completed this uh, through my company, Capnick. We had this um, health thing. It started like Thanksgiving weekend and went through January 1st where you were like supposed to try to maintain your body, not your body weight, your um, uh, body mass index, your BMI uh, within like five percentage points over the holidays. And I'm now done with that. I didn't actually succeed. I was like one percentage off, Justin. But what it allows is now that I'm done with that and I don't have to try to make this list, uh, I can go out there and just pig out on beer and bar food from our good friends at Wolverine. Love it. Love it. And, and you, now I'm, you know, it's new year's. Uh, I'm trying to turn a new leaf here. I, I may have gained a few pounds during the holidays here during December. Um, but I'm trying to get back on the, uh, the, the exercise and diet train. So now I'm going to live vicariously through you uh, <laughs> and it's your turn. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. 
<laughs> well, Justin, on the football side, I mean, we're taping this podcast at uh, about 4.30 on Monday evening, January 4th. And as of right now, unless there's a 5 p.m. news dump, and I don't think there's planning to be, um, Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, not signed a contract extension. We did talk about it on, on our Sunday podcast with Will Heinegger, a little bit about like where he would be feeling, what he'd be feeling if he was uh, a player on the team. Um, a friend of mine uh, just texted me and said that a couple of, he's talked to a couple of current players um, who have said that uh, they have not heard from Jim Harbaugh since he left for vacation, or actually since the season ended, which, you know, Jeez. is debatable when that happened. I guess in theory, that was the Wednesday of Big Ten Championship Week, which would have been, what, like the 17th or something like that, because that's when they announced they were canceling the Iowa game. Um, so the players have not heard from Jim Harbaugh. Look, I've said this now on two different podcasts. I stand by it. Um, this was always going to play out this long because Jim Harbaugh was waiting until Black Monday, uh, which was today, which is when the NFL fires their head coaches. He was waiting to see what head coaching opportunities became available. He was waiting to see if the Chargers job specifically, which is available now, and the Bears job, which I don't think they've fired Matt Nagy yet, but they still could, um, if one of those two jobs is going to become available. Jim Harbaugh, from everything that I've been told repeatedly now, um, you know, he and maybe like the whole Harbaugh family just think maybe it's time to move on for Michigan. Uh, and if that's the case, go for it, Jim. You know, that's, that's totally your prerogative. I don't, I don't believe that he's going to bring the culture back. I don't think he's going to be a championship coach here at Michigan. I'm ready to try something else. But Justin, here we are on the Monday and there's been a lot of reports from other insiders, you know, those guys have their sources too saying that deal was going to be announced this week. Honestly, they were saying like Monday or Tuesday, um, you know, one particular site saying there's going to be a big announcement, a grandiose announcement on Tuesday with Jim Harbaugh coming back and like assistant coaches, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator getting hired. Where are you in terms of believing all of this? Like, what do you believe is actually happening right now? Well, it, I think it's tough. You know, we've talked about how it's Fort Schembechler and it's really tough for anybody to even get their sources in there. And, you know, you've had your sources that you've talked to saying one thing and Chris Ballas and Sam Webb and uh, Bruce Feldman and on and on and on. And everyone's got something else, even to Mike Florio of PFF and NBC. And so everyone's got something to say, right? And so I think that, you know, what's the rule usually is the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Right. And so I think that there are a lot of situations that people are putting out there that are not mutually exclusive. Um, you came out and said that you, uh, you believe that he is exploring NFL options or at least waiting to, for Black Monday, which is today, uh, to see what's going on. And it sounds like the Chargers and the Jets and the Bears and uh, a few more uh, are, are out there looking. And they have Jim Harbaugh on uh, their short list, probably, maybe even their long list, if not the short list. So um, I, think, I, I think that, yes, he is listening to – uh, NFL teams. I, I definitely believe your report on that. What I also think is very possible at the same time is that there is a deal on the table is that uh, Ward Manuel and uh, whoever else is, is in that room 
has talked about a deal and they've got a number that's out there. They've got a, a year number of years that's out there. They've got the bonus structure as well. Um, and the, the deal is probably on the table. And I would guess that it's in Jim Harbaugh's court. And he's saying, you know what? I like this deal. I think it's great. I'd love to be at Michigan, but I think that there are some spots out there in the NFL that they could come calling and probably have been calling or reaching out. And I'd like to hear those offers out. Uh, you know, does he really want to go to the NFL? I have no idea. Does he really want to go stay at Michigan? I have no idea, but he definitely wants to, seems to want to at least hear those offers out because to me, there is no reason if he truly wanted to be at Michigan 100% and that was his decision, the deal would have been done by now and it would have been announced because it is hurting recruiting. Uh, if you're saying that there's players that haven't uh, heard from him, that hurts the morale in that locker room and everything else. So is he just doing it to leverage the offer by saying, well, the NFL is going to offer me $5 million a year, so you should match that or something similar, or does he actually want to entertain those offers? There's a lot of possibilities out there, but I think uh, it's probably a mixture of, of a lot of the reporting that we're hearing right now. Yeah, Justin, I mean, you said it. It's, it is Fort Schembechler, and I understand there's, you know, why, at least in this particular case, that you don't have Ward Manuel or Jim Harbaugh, you know, coming out and talking to the media and going like, hey, guys, this is what I'm thinking. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Instead, what you've got is you've got a lot of people that are uh, talking to, you know, one person removed because no one's talking to Jim and no one's talking to Ward. So everybody's at least one person removed from those two. And so the question then is, you know, who is one person removed that you trust? Who is one person removed or two people removed that you trust? I'm just sick of it. I'm just tired of it. Like if you're like, you know, either be the Michigan football coach or be something else. But to me, where I'm at is if this deal has been sitting on the table for a week and he's sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for an NFL opportunity. I mean, that's not a guy who's all in for Michigan. That's not a guy who is going to bring the brand back and bring the culture back. And a guy who's going to be able to walk into that locker room and say, Hey guys, um, this are all the things we're going to do that are selfless and the team, the team, the team, because this is not a, the team, the team, the team moment. This is a me moment, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I'm just sick of it all. I mean, you know, just, just make a decision, like either be all in for Michigan or, or be all in for somebody else. But the, the thing that's kind of crazy to me, Justin, about all this is like, everybody is debating the last week. What have, what has every person in Michigan been debating? They've been debating which insider is correct, whether the, the people at rivals or the Wolverine.com are correct, people at 24-7 Sports are correct, Brandon Brown at Sports Illustrated is correct, I'm correct. Like they're all they're all debating like which insider has the information that Jim Harbaugh is going to sign his contract extension or not. What people need to be debating, and it's like com been completely lost in this whole thing, is they need to be debating whether or not Michigan should be bringing Jim Harbaugh back. Like, how is that being lost in this whole thing is people are fighting over like who's got the right information about Jim Harbaugh's contract extension instead of talking about this guy is 0-5 against Ohio State and has, you know, has, is now 2-3 against Wisconsin and 3-3 against Penn State and 3-3 against Michigan State and has not achieved anything. Like, I got into it with someone on Twitter and I'm, I guarantee you because he said he listened to this podcast. So for Mr. Chizik out there, you can listen to this podcast and you can send me a message on Twitter. But like he essentially like tried to get me in debate about like, well, 
is it a fireable offense if Jim Harbaugh is the fifth best co- the fifth best program in college football? And I'm like, well, what metrics are we using to determine he's the fifth best coach? And then he sent me all of his metrics, and the metrics all averaged out for like Michigan to be the fifteenth best program, fifteenth to sixteenth best program since 2015. And so the question really comes down to like, if Michigan's the fifteenth or sixteenth best program since 2015, is that good enough? And I would say no, it's not. And it would be okay if some of the other things have been accomplished. But if you're the 15th best program in college football, you haven't beaten Ohio State, you haven't been to the Big Ten title game, you haven't been in the college football playoffs, you're on equal footing six years in with your in-state rival Michigan State, uh, you're trending in the wrong direction, you haven't developed a quarterback yet, then those are all the reasons that I would get rid of Jim Harbaugh. But that's not the conversation this week. The conversation is when's he going to sign his contract extension? And that's stupid to me because that's not the conversation we should be having. Yeah, I agree. And I think that over the last month, you know, obviously there were people that were ready to move on from Jim Harbaugh before the season even started, probably, uh, depending on what happened with Joe Milton and Dylan McCaffrey and go on and on and on. But then, you know, the longer you went into the season, the more people that were very ready to get rid of Jim Harbaugh. And I think the last little chunk of people that were ready or that still wanted him uh, at, at midway through the season or after, after the season ended, they are now like, okay, man, we are really, really sick of you holding out, playing with our hearts, playing with our minds and doing all this bullshit that is uh, not, you know, nobody really knows what's going on. So it just seems to me that the more that this carries on, the less support that the Michigan fan base has for Jim Harbaugh, I have to imagine that the less support that uh, is inside Schembechler for Jim Harbaugh as well, because there's, it's not a good look for, to your assistants that you're just in California and to your players that you're in California and you haven't contacted them since the season's gone on and like there's been just nothing you know and nobody knows what's going on all they see are rumors on twitter and social media and espn and everything like that and it's just like with every day the the support for jim harbaugh gets less and less and so if he does come back if he does sign this deal and he's michigan's coach in 2021 I don't know. How does everybody feel about that? What, what's it going to be like? Is it, you know, now all of a sudden you sign him to a five-year deal for to, through 2026. And after, if he doesn't go 12 and 0 in 2021, there's going to be about 95% of the people that say, no, you're gone, man. So now you're just, you know, delaying the inevitable because you and I both know that Michigan's not going 12 and 0 in hmm. 2021. And so, it's just this whole situation has been a bad situation because of what's happened on the field, but it's been made 10 times, a hundred times worse off the field in the past month and a half uh, because of how it's been handled. Well, you know, look, I, I think this, if, if there's some truth to, um, if there's some truth to this idea that since he, since the season has ended, he has not spoken to his team. I mean, I guess I just don't understand when when so many people, insiders, uh, reporters, um, you know, whoever you're, you know, fans are all saying that there's a, everybody's saying there's a culture problem. Former players are saying there's a culture problem. Well, if you go three weeks without talking to your team in any capacity, just like take off, that, 
I mean, how do you get, like, how do people believe that he's going to reestablish culture or he's going to build like a winning culture or a team, uh, a selfless culture if, if no one's heard from him in three weeks? Like, so yeah, I think this is a, a bad situation. And, and even if he does come back to Michigan, which is a, still a possibility if the right opportunity doesn't um, you know, present itself in the NFL, I just have a hard time believing that, like you said, Justin, that he's going to be able to get this back, that everybody's going to buy in, that the locker room's going to not, you know, there's not going to be some resentment in the locker room. I mean, he still has to go out there and hire a brand new defensive coordinator and depending on uh, if you believe some of the stuff, hire an offensive coordinator too uh, and replace Josh Gaddis. Um, He might let go. I mean, there's a couple of assistant coaches that uh, their contracts uh, expire here next week. He could let some of those guys go like Sean Nua. Um, you know, it's just, I mean, what are we, it's January 4th. And instead of talking about, you know, okay, there are, every team has some problems to fix in any given year, but it's just, it's like a watching an episode of like the bachelor or the bachelorette or whatever. (laughs) Some of those cheesy, like Fox shows are like, where all you're watching is nothing of substance. It's just all drama and back talk and bickering and hurt feelings and the whole thing like that's what we're a soap opera michigan football is a soap opera and you know six years into harbaugh how are we here how are we here justin it's a question i keep asking ourselves and and you know what it's a soap opera it's the bachelorette where it's like the, the car wreck and everybody else in america loves watching it because of the drama Everybody loves watching it because it's so funny to watch the big bad Michigan, uh, you know, the big, big brand of Michigan fall hard. And so I was on Reddit the other day on the our college football uh, page and it, the thread of I, I can't remember who it was, uh, you know, it, somebody had put on there that Michigan expects to sign a new contract through 2026 uh, for Jim Harbaugh. And the comments coming from fans of every other team are just laughing at Michigan. Uh They truly are. They think it's comical and specifically Michigan state and Ohio state fans think, yeah, keep him. Why not? He's three and three against Michigan state when they've had some of the worst teams of uh, their, their last two decades. He hasn't come close to beating Ohio state in the last three years. Uh, so it's just like, I, why, why would they not like it? So I think that, you know, it, even fans that have, that never play Michigan and, and are in the Midwest, they still just wonder how could you possibly be looking at this situation and say, yes, Jim Harbaugh is the guy for Michigan. And so after everything that, it, you know, I, I was done with him halfway through the season because of how things were going. And now it's like, oh my gosh, can we just get this over with and, and just cut the cord and let's move on from it? Because mm-hmm. it's just being, it's getting ridiculous at this point. I'll tell you what, I would have much more fun if next week by this time, Justin, what we're discussing on the podcast is uh, possible head coaches. Yes. Um, there's a gamble there, but like if we're next week talking about Matt Campbell, we're talking about Luke Fickle, we're talking about Tony Elliott, we're talking about all the hot names that are popping up on uh, premium sites, uh, and on Twitter and all the other, you know, media sites, like if that's what we're talking about at the same time next week, I'm going to be good with that because that to me is much more um, exciting and much, and much better for Michigan's future is hope and possibility as opposed to all of this, um, you know, this just silliness, all this hurt feelings, all this angst, all this anger, all this frustration, all this disappointment 
I mean, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And you said earlier, uh, you know, if, unless next year is, unless next year to me is like a 11 and one beats Ohio state goes to the big 10 championship and wins. I don't think there's anything that can take place. That's going to really get everybody back on, on, um, on Harbaugh's, uh, you know, back in his corner, maybe 10 and two and your losses are to like Washington and Ohio state. And then you win your bowl game. You have to win your bowl game because everybody's so tired of watching Michigan crap out at the end of every season. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe something like that where they go out there and they, you know, Molly Watt, Michigan State, and they beat down Nebraska and Penn State and the whole thing. But that's about it. Because if it's like a nine and three, eight and four season and they lose to Washington and they lose to Ohio State badly and they lose to Penn State and they lose to, like, if they lose to like the fourth, the four best teams on their schedule no one's going to be happy. So like, this is just, I don't know, man, sometimes marriages, sometimes relationships, I've, I, I'm in a, a great marriage. So I'm not going to say that and you're about to get married, but sometimes relationships, every single one of us has been in a relationship where it's like maybe like six months after it was good. And you're just kind of like hanging on and you like fight most of the time and you resent the person and you're never going to get back to a good place, but you're kind of hanging on to like the memories because at one point it was good. And at one point you smiled and at one point you laughed. And at one point, uh, you know, the sex was good, but now you're just kind of going through the motions and neither one of you has the, has the, you know, the strength to end it. But at some point you get there and you're like, I just can't do it anymore. I need out. Cause this is just so negative and I just can't be a part of it. I feel like that's where we are with Michigan football and the fan base and Jim Harbaugh says, it's just like, like, let's just, let's just be done. Let's just get out of here. So will that come to fruition? I guess we'll find out sometime this week. Yeah. I, uh, we, we will see. And, and, you know, I, I agree with you. I swear, Mike, if we are still here next week talking about what's happening, the rumors mm-hmm. and everything about Jim Harbaugh, I'm going to go nuts because I imagine our listeners are going nuts too. And they don't want to hear much more about it because I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, I I'd rather talk about, you know, whether he's, if he's here, let's talk about how he's going to get it done. If he's not here, let's talk about who can step in and make it happen. But I'm sick of talking about, uh, you know, the possibilities or what, what could possibly go on. So um, that'll, uh, we'll, we'll have another one, uh, another podcast coming out later this week, uh, to talk more Michigan basketball, because I love talking about Michigan basketball mm. compared to uh, football right now. Um, and they, after their game on Wednesday against Minnesota, which is going to be a great matchup. Um, and Minnesota has been playing really, really well right mm. now. So we'll have a podcast coming out later this week, uh, talking about that. And, uh, you can follow us at stadium main pod on Twitter. I am at Justin Rowe 92 on Twitter and Mike is at Michael Spath ITH. You can uh, check out our sponsors as well. Weber's hotel and restaurant Wolverine brewing company uh, for uh, Lewis jewelers and Kapnick insurance. And uh, we will have uh, some more guests on coming up here soon. Thanks. Yeah. I'm looking forward to, we've got, we've we've been putting up, uh, lining up some, uh, some guests to join us to to talk about their small businesses, also big sports fans, people that I know from different walks of life. So looking forward to that. Our boy, Derek completely backed out on us on uh, Saturday. I know, Uh, you know, so, uh, I mean, he's an expectant father, so I'm going to give him a little (laughs) bit of a break because he he was going to do some like stuff around the house, like get the crib ready and get the nursery ready. So I'll give him a little bit of a break, but 
you know, just, uh, I hope he's listening to this podcast right now. That was so Derek to, to back out at the, at the 11th hour. Um, but no, man, we're going to have some fun. We will definitely talk some more Michigan basketball this week. Uh, and looking forward to that game on, on Wednesday night. So thanks for listening today. God, Justin, I really, I really just want to move on from this Harbaugh conversation. Like, just tell me one way or another, and then I can, then I can weigh in. But just tell me one way or another. I'm done with the speculation. Exactly, exactly. Let's hope. I'm hoping and praying that we can have an answer so we can stop talking about it and you can stop listening to us uh, <laughs> complain about ourselves talking about it. hundred <laughs> uh, percent. All right. 100%. We'll talk to you later. See you guys later this week. This is the Stadium and Main podcast. Presented by Kapnick Insurance Group, Wolverine State Brewing Company, and Lewis Jewelers.